Welcome back to the Raider Report podcast, everyone. My name is Nicholas Benvenuto. I'm the news editor for the Wright State Guardian, joined as always by Claire O'Toole, social media assistant, and Maxwell Patton, Wright Life reporter. Today, we also have a special guest with us, Alexis Voisard. Um, she is an English creative and professional writing major here at Wright State and music and Spanish minor. She's also a study abroad peer mentor, which is kind of going to be the topic of discussion for today's episode. Um, looking to learn more about study abroad here at Wright State, some of the things that are offered, some of the experiences that Alexis has had herself. I kind of have to go back to when I myself became involved in study abroad. So I went abroad to London for an entire semester during the fall of 2019. And it was an absolute incredible experience. And of course, when I came back, I was just feeling so impassioned by like the effects and and the the real power of what study abroad can do for other students and um, the company that I chose to study abroad with is called AIFS and it stands for American Institute for Foreign Study and um, it's basically with that company I went abroad completely by myself I didn't have anyone from Wright State with me so going into that experience was really nerve-wracking for me just coming from you know I I lived in Cedarville Ohio growing up um, went to a very small high school so going abroad by myself was really um, an opportunity for me to really step out of my comfort zone. You'll hear that a lot when you talk to other like study abroad alumni who have gone through the same experience as I did. So coming back to Wright State, I was you know trying to think of ways like how can I use my experiences and my storytelling to kind of help other students navigate the study abroad process and how they can um, make their study abroad dreams come true. And um, in the semester when I came back, AIFS had presented this really cool opportunity for all AIFS alumni to be a part of, and they call it their AIFS Alumni Ambassador Program. And it's a year-long program um, that everyone has to interview for. Um, and I get to work with students um, across Wright State's campus um, and connect them with all of the study abroad services that Wright State provides um, and that AIFS provides. But ultimately, my goal is to just promote study abroad on campus as much as I can. So when I got interviewed for the position, um, AIFS was really excited to work with me. Um, I myself am really um, tech savvy with like writing online blogs and vlogging for YouTube channels. So I especially enjoy creating digital content that kind of um, broadcasts the study abroad story and the entire the entire experience of what it's like. So I have been working with Wright State um, and their study abroad team to create lots of digital content. Um, if you go to our study abroad um, Instagram page, go ahead and follow us at wsu.ucie. Um, a lot of the content on there is stuff that I have created. Um, and yeah, it's just really cool to constantly work with students who have um, always just a lot of different questions about study abroad because it is such a, a daunting experience, especially for someone who's never even flown on a plane before or for anyone who's never left the country before or the state. So it's really interesting getting to work with students of all backgrounds and, and getting them connected to really important resources that make study abroad happen, especially scholarships. There are so many scholarships out there for students of all backgrounds that 
I I always like to tell people that I myself um, was able to go abroad and I had 75% of my tuition covered by scholarships, which is absolutely incredible. So I say if one of the you know main concerns that students have and come to me with questions about are, well, how can I finance my study abroad experience? And I just point them to, you know, scholarships that are actually provided by Wright State University and, and other scholarships like the Gilman Scholarship. There's so many great um, resources out there that make study abroad seem less daunting and less impossible and more of a real, authentic experience. I can start with my favorite experience of being a mentor. I think one of the coolest things that I love working with UCIE is they're such like a family environment and they really um, care about us a lot. And they um, gave me a lot of um, tasks to work on um, in regards to improving programming because a lot of the struggles that we've had this year, as a lot of people would probably think, is, well, how does study abroad work in a pandemic or during, you know, COVID-19? What does that look like? How is that even possible? So. A lot of the programming that we've been doing is especially trying to get students to um, very forward thinking and planning long in advance um, because we're hoping to get students on the ground this fall, you know, as, as vaccines come out. And it's important to to recognize, too, that, you know, while things may be okay here in the United States, like, you know, other parts of the world may have different restrictions and, and all these like unknowns. So. A lot of what we do in terms of programming is just getting students to realize, like, what does study abroad look like um, while also having fun and still trying to to make it feel like it is still possible. So one of the favorite things that I have done as a peer mentor is schedule this really cool um, event that we kind of collaborated with the entire UCIE office. And you're probably wondering, what does UCIE stand for? And UCIE stands for the University Center of International Education. So that office that I work for also supports all of the international students that we have on campus. They are a fantastic community of students on our campus, and I absolutely love working with them. So this event that I got to work on um, with some other international students was called an open mic night. And it was by far like the best virtual event that we had attended last semester. And it wasn't necessarily or it didn't have a focus on study abroad itself, but it actually happened within the International Education Week um, last semester, um, which celebrated all kinds of international events and also featuring and high highlighting those study abroad opportunities and educating students on what is still possible. And there are so many international students that came to like broadcast their talent. There are so many singers and there are students who are playing piano. And there are also some really cool art featured throughout the night as well. Um, And I myself also participated. I got to sing one of my favorite Spanish songs um, by Shakira uh, named Waka Waka. So that was very fun. And it was it was just <laughs> a really fun. cool. It definitely was. I had a blast. And it was just a really cool, like bonding moment with international students and domestic students alike, um, just to be able to celebrate like all of our really cool talents. And it, it just makes me a lot 
more proud to be involved in the Raider community, knowing how talented we are and that we still have that drive to share those talents, um, even being in a virtual environment. And then as far as like favorite stories goes while I was abroad, that's a really tough question to answer. Um, I just have so many stories. I mean, let me let me think about that for a second. One of my favorite stories I like to tell isn't necessarily um, a story that was not so fun in the moment. Um, and I can get a little deep here um, just because it's also something that's inspired um, a lot of the education that I'm doing now um, as a returning student. So I, um, of course, you know, I lived in London for all four months while I was abroad, um, and we got to have an entire week for fall break to pretty much do whatever we wanted. So I got with three of my best friends, um, and I said, yo, we got to plan something to go somewhere for fall break. So we were looking around, um, and we had decided to go to Italy for a total of nine days. And we bought plane tickets and we crammed all of these like crazy travel plans within nine days. I think we ended up going to, I think, five cities. We ended up going to Milan, Venice, Verona, Verano, Rome, Pisa. So that's a total of six cities, actually. So we crammed a lot of travel in one week. Um and you may think that that's totally crazy, but once you're abroad, like you have to cram as much as you can in such a short amount of time because it's it's one of those experiences where like it never happens again. So you want to like absorb every moment as as much as you can. Yeah, so, I totally understand. I would be I would be trying to book as much as possible like throughout yes. every single day that I was there. I, I totally understand. Yes, me too. Um, and so when planning this trip. Um, I didn't really know some of my friends who I was going with. Um, and we had planned it in September and we were going to go in October. So I, I figured, you know, these people I'm going with, um, it'll be a good time for us to get to know each other before then. So by the time October comes, um, you know, we get on the plane, we hop and we go over to Italy. Um, and a lot of us, I guess, we didn't really get a chance to get to know each other that much. Um, so one night, um, we were having this really, um, really deep discussion about Black Lives Matter. And one of my friends who was with me was also a Black female. And she was honestly, and she still is to this day, like one of my best friends. I still talk to her to this day. Um, and um, so she was talking about really passionate things that she had been involved in with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and there's another student or, you know, another friend with us on that trip who didn't necessarily agree with, with a lot of the stuff that, that she was talking about. And so after she had started talking about that stuff, and I guess I should also mention, um, I think one of the coolest things for me in that moment during my entire study abroad experience is you would have like conversations that you would never really expect to have. And that conversation with my my friend was so eye-opening and it just changed the way that I personally view the Black Lives Matter movement and how interactive and involved I want to be. And so um, a couple of days go by and we get to Venice and I guess, you know, tensions had started like kind of heating up between, you know, these two friends who just didn't, uh, 
agree with each other on on these things. And we were cooking pasta in the kitchen. We were having, you know, this really great time in our Airbnb. And then all of a sudden, um, like things just like exploded out of nowhere and like people were yelling and it was just really intense for me to be sitting there like, oh my gosh, like I'm supposed to be on vacation. Like this isn't supposed to be happening. Like my two friends shouldn't be fighting with each other. We should be enjoying our time here. Like when are we ever going to be in Venice again? But then at the end of the night, they were able to kind of like calm down and have a really um, adult conversation about you know, what the Black Lives Matter movement meant to my friend and also the other friend who didn't really, um, who couldn't see eye to eye. So it was more of like a conversation that they had to have that I was able to help them through and navigate those uncomfortable conversations. Um, and they didn't really, you know, get along after that and after the trip had been over. But that moment was probably the most like transformative moment of my entire education abroad experience. Um, and when I came back to the United States, I was still trying to um, process this this thing called culture shock. It's called reverse culture shock. And this happens to, or it can happen to a lot of study abroad students who, when they are so far removed from their home culture, and when they return to it, it's kind of like, oh, oh goodness, I have to get used to United States culture again, because I was so far removed from it for four entire months. I imagine that has to be extremely interesting (laughs) when you start to like, you're almost like, you know, people do this with climate change all the time. If you go to a place, you know, that's really hot and it takes your body a little bit, you know, to get used to the climate and then you end up coming back home where it might be cold and your body has to readjust. So I imagine it's kind of the same thing. It's just like a mental shift of, okay, I'm back home. I'm in this completely different spot. Um, So yeah, I imagine that's really interesting. Yes, it is. And I'm I'm really glad that Wright State offers a lot of resources for that very pivotal transformational stage of trying to get used to your home culture while also processing everything that like just happened within your study abroad experience. Um, and the weather, 100%, that was me. Like I remember I landed back in the United States on Christmas Eve and it was like snowing, super cold and back home in London, or of course I said home in London. Um, but back home in London, it was, I think, like 50 degrees. Like they have very mild winters. So it was that the physical change in weather was very abrupt. But also it was like, um, you know, going through those mental um, adjustments is kind of like understated, but also a very important thing to recognize. And I'm very glad that I had the study abroad team to kind of help me through that transition. And of course, when I came back, I was talking about, you know, that one night in Venice um, and how, um, you know, kind of upsetting it was that it happened to me during that week that was supposed to be super fun. Um, and so I I got the idea to think about like, well, what can I do to help students understand, you know, how to navigate those uncomfortable conversations so that, you know, students don't go into their study abroad experience um, basically unprepared to have those conversations. And so now what I'm doing is I took that really negative experience and I'm turning it into an entire undergraduate honors thesis project where I'm looking at what is education abroad trying to do with unconscious bias. And I think looking back at that that evening, 
in Venice, it was really all about unconscious bias that the student had and, and didn't really understand what the Black Lives Matter movement meant. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, her fault or her intentions to be negative, but it really comes down to unconscious bias and how our brain, when we make decisions, it's not necessarily like, you know, you might not be thinking overtly racist thoughts, but there can be, you know, a collection of all of your like memories and and what you um, and how you process things in the world that can still affect decisions that you make. And I think that night in Venice, those you know her collective um, you know memories, like everything that she knows to exist in the world, had impacted how that conversation negatively went. So what I'm doing now with my project is creating resources, engaging resources, both um, digital and and print to help students recognize what un- unconscious bias is and how to navigate those uncomfortable conversations that are probably bound to happen especially with students who are going abroad with people that they don't necessarily know cuz i could imagine like if i went abroad with my friends i probably wouldn't have had those conversations about the Black Lives Matter movement just because i had never had those conversations with people while i was in the united states so I'm really grateful for that kind of, you know, negative experience and how I'm kind of, you know, taking power back and being able to say, no, I won't stand for, you know, students being hurt because of unconscious bias. I'm going to do everything that I can to support and empower students so that they can feel prepared to have those conversations in order to succeed while they're abroad. Well, Alexis, thank you for sharing that story that was uh, really powerful uh i'm really proud of you that you were able to do that um so tell us a little bit more about this honors thesis that you're working on it sounds really cool yes absolutely um so i starting as a freshman at wright state in 2017 i always knew that i wanted to um, interact with the honors program at wright state and i always had you know an idea that i wanted to become what Wright State calls a university honors scholar. And it's a student who completes seven honors courses and they also complete a research project. And as someone now who is in the process of, you know, applying to um, grad schools, um, research is a huge component of any master's degree, really. So I've always wanted to have that undergraduate research experience that I can take and kind of build upon when I go to start my master's degree. Um, But also for the longest of time, I was always, you know, kind of struggling with like, oh, what am I going to do for an entire year? Like, I I can't think of anything to like study for an entire year. There's like random things about like, you know, British fantasy writing that I had thought about doing. Um, But really, studying abroad is what gave me the inspiration to spend a whole year kind of studying um you know, what is unconscious bias and how is it being used in the education abroad um, sphere. And a lot of the research that I started doing in the preliminary stages was just looking at, okay, so what are universities doing now and what can we do to build from there? And a lot of universities didn't necessarily have those resources, um, maybe not available on their websites, but you'd have to really, really dig to find them. So a lot of those resources talking about, um, you know, cultural competencies, um, 
and engaging with, you know, topics such as unconscious bias are very buried and they're not very accessible. So one of my biggest goals with this project is to do all of that research work of what's already been done by so many great scholars and make it accessible so that students can really understand what unconscious bias is in order to develop um, those really crucial um, intercultural competencies that they develop while they're abroad. Um, and these competencies can range from, you know, intercultural communication, um, decision-making, um, you know, communication. There's all kinds of different, um, you know, I guess, bullet points that you would list on a resume of, you know, when somebody goes to ask you in a job interview, like, what did you learn from your study abroad experience? You know, you're going to hit those, um, you know, intercultural communication skills um, and decision making. Um, and also being able to recognize what unconscious bias is in order to um, better process how, um, I guess, to understand how, you know, other cultures may view yourself. And I know for me, when I went abroad, um, aspects of my social identity um, really stood out to me. Um, and in that case, it would most likely be my national identity. So living and growing up in the United States for my entire life, I didn't really think about my national identity as a citizen of the United States on a daily basis. But when I was removed from my home country and I was abroad in London and traveling to you know other countries while I was also in Europe, it was on my mind every single day. And it was so interesting being able to navigate, um, you know, how other, you know, British natives or Italian natives would kind of um, use their own biases and interact with me, even though, you know, most of the time, most of those biases didn't lead to a negative or, you know, bad situation. Um, but I think it's something that all students should be able to recognize and acknowledge that we, that we all have some kind of bias and to be able to acknowledge it is one of the first steps that I think I really want students to be able to do. Um, and then creating those materials that are engaging and, and kind of cool to learn about unconscious bias is kind of what, what gap I'm wanting to fill so that um, Wright State, um, any university across the United States, and also every single um, resident director who is on site at every location that is provided by AIFS can have access to those resources and know how to how to help students have those uncomfortable conversations to be able to learn and grow as a citizen, not only of the United States, but a, to become a better global citizen as well. Well, that sounds great. I uh, took an intercultural communication class a couple years ago and I just loved it. So it sounds like you're doing great things both for yourself and for Wright State. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Claire. Um, Alexis, I kind of wanted to back up a little bit. I had a question on something that you had spoken about earlier. Um, you had identified that, you know, when you went abroad and you got to London and you were there for, you know, X amount of months and then you ended up coming home, there was changes that you had to readjust to, um, you know, living back here in the United States, even though you had only been gone for, I think, like, what, four months? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, what were some of the, what were some of like the biggest cultural differences that you had to readjust to coming back to the United States after living in Europe for four months? Yeah. So one of the biggest things I like to tell everybody who might be even remotely interested in studying abroad in London or in Britain is that 
even though English is the, the predominant language spoken, there are still a lot of language barriers to kind of overcome. And it's not so much that, you know, whenever I was, you know, at a local coffee shop trying to order, you know, a latte, I never had problems with that. Um, or even trying to go, um, you know, riding the underground tube and trying to ask somebody for directions. How do I get across London to this, you know, de destination? Um, but being you know, with London being so diverse and such a huge city, it, you know, I would walk down the street and hear eight different languages being spoken, even though in the, oh, wow. in the larger wow. context of Britain as a country, English is spoken. But I, I, I love how diverse London is. And that was one of the most unexpected things um, or unexpected experiences, I guess, going abroad that I was totally surprised about. Um, so it was just really cool being able to interact with people of all cultures, even though I was in London who, you know, where people still speak English yeah. um, and being able to navigate those um, cultural differences was really cool too. Um, and I guess another thing that I guess one of the biggest thing is just, I grew up surrounded by cornfields and I had really, <laughs> you know, here. I had pretty sucky access to internet and, you know, Wi-Fi signal. Um, and I would have to, you know, ride the school bus to get to school. And my closest grocery was half an hour away. So I, I had to use a car to literally get everywhere. So when I was living abroad in London, they have a fantastic, you know, public transport system. Um, and the bus I would use, you know, the red double-decker buses, which those are actually not like just for tourists. I, I think some people think that those are only tourist traps. Well, some of them are <laughs> if they say on the side like tour guide, you know, um, but they're actually part of the public transport system. And it's really affordable. And you can get like a student card that gives you um, even better discounts on, you know, accessing transport in London. Um, so using public transport to navigate a city was just another like really big um, cultural shift for me. And also another just big thing for me to step out of my comfort zone and learn how to become more independent. Because now, you know, coming back, I feel so much more comfortable um, relocating to pretty much any big city in, in the United States or oh, yeah, anywhere sure. else abroad. Um, and oh, being yeah. able to feel comfortable using public transportation and also just being able to communicate with other people and also like learning the like, you know, social norms of using the public transport. Because I remember specifically riding on the tube, which is the equivalent of like the New York subway. That's what they call it over there in London, the tube. Um, it's very quiet and it's it's kind of taboo to even really talk out loud. Um, and sometimes when I would be riding the tube with my friends, you know, Americans tend to be very loud and they don't really understand that until they are removed from a United States context. Um, and sometimes it was kind of embarrassing, you know, just sitting there like all my study abroad friends are being loud. And like sometimes they would like speak and like mocking the like British accent, even though there are literally some like British accents that I, I couldn't even tell you what they were saying, even though they're speaking English. It's just like one of those things, too, that relates back to the language barriers. There are so many different dialects and some people have just like, you know, just very different accents. And it's it's all such a, a really cool like learning experience, um, you know, navigating the language while also understanding um, some of those social norms on the tube, which is a very like specific, um, you know, social context, but also just being able to navigate, um, 
you know, even like fashion norms. I feel like in London, you can pretty much like dress however you want because it's such a diverse city. Um, but there's definitely areas um, of London that are very posh. And that was something as someone who grew up in very rural Ohio, wasn't very used to. Um, so sometimes I felt a little out of place wearing, you know, tennis shoes and, and a pair of jeans. Um, so sometimes I like to like, you know, dress up a little nicer to blend in with um, Londoners who are very, um, you know, they care a lot about their appearance and want to look, you know, polished and professional all the time. So all of those things, um, I think were some of the biggest cultural differences. Mm-hmm. Um based on like my upbringing and how I, you know, took all of that with me abroad and mm-hmm. being able to adjust back home as well. Nice, nice. I really want to touch on one thing that you kind of already hinted at. Um, I had a follow-up question that was going to be, you know, was there ever a time where you did feel out of place? And you said that, you know, sometimes where in you know, you might be wearing one thing and you're in an area where everybody's looking very posh and all polished and stuff. Is there anything outside of, you know, like the clothing realm where you might have been walking around and you're like, man, I, I kind of just like feel out of place? Or was it a very like, you know, comforting place and environment for you to be in as an American? Yeah, I would say, I mean, from the day that I landed, I was very surprised at how comfortable I felt like because I thought I would land and I would immediately feel really nervous and have to call my mom and say, mom, I landed in London. I can't believe my hair. Um, but I was really surprised at how comfortable I felt in most situations. Cause I, besides, you know, living in London, I also got to travel to Ireland and Scotland, Spain, Italy. Um, I feel like there's one more country that I went to. Oh, and also, um, France, I got to visit Paris for a weekend. Um, really the only times that I did feel out of place were pretty much any time I opened my mouth to talk because, a lot of my like national identity is very much um, included in the way that I speak and my own accent, even though I feel like some people from Ohio think that we, you know, Ohioans don't have accents, but we definitely do because, you know, in <laughs> an international context, time. like, yeah, oh, for sure. Um, so I always was very careful about how I carried and presented myself because Americans really do get a bad rap pretty much anywhere in the world. And it's not necessarily, you know, decisions that I made that, you know, impacted how people view me as an American. Um, But I think pretty much anywhere I was, I was always very careful to, um, and even in in places where English was the predominant language spoken, I was very careful to speak slowly and to make good eye contact. And of course, this was, you know, before um, we were in a pandemic. So personal space wasn't, you know, really... A thing, because um, I know in the United States we tend to have a larger personal bubble, but over in Europe it's like personal space. What is that? <laughs> um, so even <laughs> like you know, riding really um, crowded um, buses, and it was just like a lot to like get used to in that aspect as well. Oh, that's really it's really cool. I'm glad that you had some good experiences and. I'm glad that now you're back in Ohio where you can wear whatever the heck you want. So Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm very happy being comfy in a pair of leggings or jeans. Oh, it's okay. one of the things that I definitely missed while I was abroad. I could just like dress however I want. Aww. So the last question I have for you, Alexis, is you are a dual major and a dual minor. And I have never met anyone like that. That is really cool. I can't imagine how if you get any sleep, 
Um, but how I, I don't, your... but I'm, I happen to be awake now. <laughs> <laughs> how have your uh, majors and minors uh, affected this uh, study abroad kind of thing? So that's a really good question because I think one question or the main question that I get from students is, well, how can a study abroad experience support, you know, this, the studies and the academics I'm already involved in at Wright State? And with my educational background being so diverse, um, you know, I'm definitely one of those people who it's kind of hard for me to like pick one path and stick to it um, because I love um, music so much. And I love performing and singing with women's chorale and playing clarinet with pep band. But I also spoke um, and, and studied the Spanish language, too, in high school. So I wanted to continue more in-depth knowledge about Spanish while I was in college too. But also, here's this big, uh, you know, English um, passion of mine floating above, you know, my music and my Spanish. Um, And also within English, you know, I love creative writing just as much as I do the professional and technical writing aspect of writing as well. Um, So as diverse as my education is, Um, going abroad, that was one of my main concerns is I didn't want to fall a semester behind um, because of going abroad. So when I registered for classes with my university that I was studying at at London, and it was called Richmond, the American International University, um, a lot of classes I was looking at were very much aligned with um, my major already and some of my like personal interests. So oh. when I went abroad, I actually took four different classes. I took British fantasy fiction writing, and I also took world literature. And those two classes blended really well already in my major, and I got credit straight for those classes. And then I also took basically... The two other classes I took were just like totally fun classes, like outside of my major, like these two classes I can never take at Wright State because they're just not offered. And one of them was History of London, which every single Wednesday we were able to go on a field trip outside of the classroom, which I think one of the really cool things that study abroad gives you is that non-traditional academic setting. And I loved being able to like, you know, on Monday read about, you know, the medieval start of London back when the Romans were like constructing roads throughout London and being able to then on Wednesday go to exactly the spot and where you could still see a Roman wall existing in very modern London. That was like one of the coolest things I remember. That's incredible. Yeah. So I think, you know, education abroad is really good for those outside of the classroom Um, elements that you wouldn't necessarily get with a traditional program here at Wright State. And then my other class was totally like out of my comfort zone, which is actually called voice for broadcasting and acting, which, you know, I'm using my voice right now for this podcast. Yeah. Um, So, you know, taking that class, I was like, wow, I've never take I've never taken an acting class before. But I know like with London and the whole like, you know, that guy named Shakespeare, who's really like prevalent in London I knew you know acting is a huge deal over there and I actually got to see the Mamma Mia musical while I was there which I would totally recommend that show to anyone it was the best musical I've ever experienced because it was just a huge dance party at the end Um, but besides the point um, like all of the classes that I took I wanted to make sure I had a balance of having them blend in with you know the courses and the, the track that I was already at on Wright State 
and also being able to blend in those those totally fun out of the ordinary experiences too because I think that's also something to really consider you know going abroad because I know for some students it can be a huge obstacle if you can't get you know credit for this one class to fill the one requirement that you need like in order to graduate like with your transcripts and whatnot um but I think study abroad is one of those times where you can just like pause your life and just focus on being able to better yourself while also, you know, making really long lasting friendships with like some of the craziest people you meet, but also like the best people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Um, and also, you know, learning about yourself and your identity and being able to learn about other cultures and their identities. It's just like such a huge, like overarching, diverse educational experience that I myself have wanted to pursue. And I feel like if I hadn't gone abroad, I still, you know, at Wright State would have gotten a very diverse education with how many, you know, minors and majors that I have. But going abroad was was my time to really take all of the learning I had done out of a United States context and while balancing learning how a new culture operates, basically. Yeah, that's awesome. It was yeah, that's amazing. time to shine, huh? Absolutely. So, Alexis, uh, what opportunities does study abroad offer during this current coronavirus pandemic? Because it seems to me that you can't really go um, it, or it'd be a lot harder to go to places just because of like the travel restrictions and such. Mm hmm. OK, so I'll ask you a question. Do you think that any student in the world is currently outside of the United States studying abroad right now? What would be your answer? I would, I would say, say no. I don't think would say yes. I would not I be surprised. So contrary to popular belief, there are some students who are outside of the United States right now studying abroad out of the country. And the company that I chose to study abroad with, AIFS, actually has students on the ground in Costa Rica right now. And I think it's, it's amazing that they were able to develop a a health and safety plan, a very rigorous and, and clear health and safety plan for students to be able to have the confidence to go abroad in a location that, you know, accepts students from the United States. Um, but also recognizing that there's, there's, to answer that question fully, there are a lot of very limited opportunities right now within the study abroad world to actually go out of country. And that's one of the biggest things that I think students want out of a study abroad experience is to be removed from their home culture and be able to interact with, with, with others from different cultures. Um, but one of the really cool things that I think has come out of this pandemic is getting more access to virtual study abroad opportunities. And you may think to yourself like, well, why would I want to study French, you know, sitting in my room in Dayton, Ohio? Like, why would I want to do that? Um, and I think there's a, a huge value placed on being able to take advantage of those virtual study abroad opportunities right now. Because um, for one, some virtual study abroad classes are actually cheaper than those that are offered at Wright State, which is super cool. And on top of that, you can use your scholarships and your existing financial aid to go towards those classes. So it's, it oh, would wow. be really cool. I did not know that. Yeah. So, you know, you can be sitting at home or, you know, I can be sitting at home 
at my desk here in Dayton, Ohio, and I can log on to my computer and I can take French with a professor who's living in Paris, France, who has lived in Paris, France their whole life. And I'll be sitting in a virtual classroom with students from all over the world and all over the United States being in that virtual environment, learning a language from somebody who knows and like lives, you know, French every single day. Um, so there's a lot of value to courses like that where you can still get that international engagement and a lot, there's still also like a lot of virtual programming that is still offered. Like they'll have, you know, virtual, you know, coloring nights or, you know, inner, um, like cultural engagement nights. So it's definitely a lot different virtual study abroad from, you know, the in-person on-site study abroad opportunities. Um, but I know for sure that we're we're pretty much all hoping that that travel can start to resume more in in the fall and even more so in 2022. That's really interesting. Um, so how do students get involved with the study abroad program? Yeah, so it's actually super easy. Like one of the it depends really on where you're kind of starting. So a lot of students either they have like a country in mind or or they're mm. they're concerned about maybe getting an internship done in engineering. So there's a lot of different, you know, things that I think students need to really think about. Um, what do you want to get out of a study abroad experience? So one of the really great resources that Wright State offers is that we have an excellent team of advisors who are always there Monday through Friday, even though our office isn't open, they're always there to answer questions and schedule advising appointments um, to help students with those conversations to kind of figure out, you know, like, what country do I want to go to? Or what's the best program length? Like, do you want to go on a short-term two-week program or do you want to spend a whole semester abroad? So interacting with our advisors is one of the, the best tools that you'll have. Um, and we also do um, virtual programming events um, like you'll see um, tomorrow, actually, um, or the day that you're listening to this podcast, um, February 22nd is actually National Study Abroad Day. Um, and our office is celebrating by asking um, alumni, um, whether it be students or even faculty, um, kind of feature their stories and telling um, others about the power of study abroad and what it can do to transform your life. And we're going to be featuring a bunch of those posts on social media. And we also have um, open like advising hours throughout the week. So there's a lot of really cool like social ways to get interact with study abroad and also those like, you know, logistical, like how do I really, you know, plan an entire study abroad experience? We have a really great team of people that can help help you out with almost anything. Now, I was actually thinking about that. So there are a lot of people who are um, graduating this semester, and um, but there are also people who are just really starting out their education. Are there any study abroad opportunities for people who are leaving the university within the next year or so? Yeah, so there there are opportunities. Essentially, like a lot of the um, ambassador programs that we have at Wright State, um, which are short term, they go for, you know, from a few days to a few weeks in the summer. Um, we're in the process of moving those programs to 2022 now. Um, and for some students who are concerned about graduating, there is a way to still 
um, study abroad after you've graduated. Um, for example, if you are wanting to continue your education at Wright State as a graduate student, you can absolutely go on any of the ambassador programs or any study abroad programs that are eligible for graduate students to continue in those opportunities. So there's definitely ways to still travel. Um, and it's even more accessible for students who are just starting their education at Wright State. Um, that's why with, with those students, we're really working on like some of the long-term planning of looking, you know, 2022 and ahead. Finally, uh, you are a uh, peer mentor. So can you tell us what exactly the role of uh, that position is? Yeah, so being a peer mentor is a really cool experience, just like working with a study abroad team, because um, I am currently like the youngest member of the study abroad team at Wright State, but also um, kind of I'm I am the most like recently graduated study abroad alumni, I guess you could say, um, cool. who's who's recently returned from that experience, and I think that's really kind of invaluable to have on the on a study abroad team. So a, a lot of students will ask some of those like small nitty gritty questions of like, what is it actually like getting a passport photo taken? Or like, I have no idea how to book a flight. And that's where I can kind of come in and give, you know, my student spin on it and, and be able to, to speak from my experiences that are so recent and I can still like speak to them. Um, and it kind of helps um, relate to students on um, a more personal level of what study abroad is like from the student perspective, even though everyone on our study abroad team has been, you know, abroad. Um, but it's, it's really fun getting to um, help students figure out where they want to go abroad um, and how, how their classes work and, and fit into that component. Um, and what else? I think, yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Well, that's awesome. Alexis, I have one last question for you before we're going to hop off here. Um, this is something that we kind of ask everybody that comes on. It's a fun way for us to end the podcast. And I think that you might have an interesting spin on it um, with how busy of a schedule um, you live on a day-to-day -day basis and, you know, having two majors and two minors and, you know, going abroad and being in a different country for four months. I think that you might have an interesting take on this. So do you drink coffee? And if you do, how do you like your coffee? Or, you know, do you just do you have a caffeinated beverage that helps you get through your day-to-day -day schedule being so busy? Yes. So I thrive on coffee as a human being. If I do not have coffee, I will get a headache. So I guess you, <laughs> you could you could argue that I'm definitely addicted to that thing called caffeine. Um, so I really like my coffee hot. I do really like iced coffee in the afternoon, but always in the morning when I wake up, I need a nice hot cup of coffee. Mm, and I, I like a medium roast and I like putting a little bit of Splenda in there because I'm trying to, you know, mind my health. So I don't put real sugar in it, but mm -hmm. I put one packet of Splenda and I also put just a splash of almond milk because I am lactose intolerant. So I have to be mindful of that too. So a little bit of Splenda, a little bit of almond milk, and I like putting um, sugar-free like flavors in my coffee. Most of the time, I go with caramel or vanilla, and sometimes I do hazelnut, but most of the time, I go with caramel or vanilla. So I, I definitely like my coffee sweet, but also kind of strong enough to like get me through all of the stuff that I'm involved in. Alexis, we sound like coffee twins. I think we need to go. <laughs> yes, let's get coffee sometime. <laughs> Talk about study abroad. Absolutely.
uh, tune in to WWSU, the campus radio station. Uh, the it's one hundred six point nine FM. Uh, it's it's a lovely radio station, and we have music, sports, talk shows, comedy. You know, whatever you'd want to listen to. Uh, my personal show is called Rock and Raider, and it airs every three to five p.m. on Mondays, right before this. And um, we've also been integrating with a podcast I started here recently uh, called the Musically Right Podcast, where we talk to right state people in the community about music. And uh, the next person who is going to be on that podcast and on the show Monday is our very own Right Life editor, Roxanne Reisner. Uh, so that's going to be super exciting. And uh, that episode, that episode for like the show is going to air on Monday, but then her thing is going to upload probably either like Monday or Wednesday, um, partly because I'll be out of town for the next weekend. So the episode that's going to be after that is going to be um, uh, dance major Hannah Bond, who is um, part of the Emerging Choreographers concert. It's going to be super cool. And if you are wondering what study abroad can do for you, or if you're wanting to plan your own study abroad dream, I would definitely encourage you to visit Wright State's study abroad website. So it is studyabroad.wright.edu. And there you can find lots of good resources explaining what all kinds of programs that we offer. And you can also schedule an appointment to speak with an advisor. Or you can schedule an appointment to speak with me. Um, and I would also encourage you to follow our Instagram page, which is wsu.ucie. And there we post lots of um, images um, reflecting, you know, students and their former study abroad experiences. And we also feature really fun events that we have going on, including National Study Abroad Day, which is February 22nd. And if you're interested in what kind of programs that AIFS offers, which is um, the program that I went with, you can visit AIFSabroad.com. That's awesome. Alexis, thank you so much for being here and speaking with us today. Um, you've given us some eye-opening um, you know, things to think about as far as you know, studying abroad. And I, was, I really enjoyed listening to the different experiences that you had um, you know, being out of the country and and, um, you know, kind of climatizing yourself to living outside of the country for four months and then being able to come back um, and integrate all of those, you know, experiences that you had, you know, some positive, some negative, but turn everything around into a positive light. I think that's absolutely incredible. Um, and I'm really happy that you were able to come on and join us today. So once again, thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And Maxwell and Claire, thank you so much for being here on a weekly basis with me as well. I love doing this. We've had 21 episodes now. It's kind of hard to believe. Um, that we've been able to cover so much content in such a short period of time. And I look forward to continuing it for as long as we're here, even though that we're, all three of us are going to be graduating here soon. So um, we'll be back next week for episode 22. So check our social medias out at WSU Guardian um, for your right source of news, WSUGuardian.com. Um, you can read some articles that I write myself as well as Maxwell, and you can see some of the digital content that Claire creates for The Guardian as well. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening with us for another week. And like I said earlier, we will be back next week for another episode. Have a great day, guys. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. <laughs>